Welcome to the Beasley Academy podcast, Control-Alt-Breach. In this series, we will learn more about cyber risks and trends as we at Beasley see them from the front lines. To lead you through this series is one of Beasley's top cyber risk managers. Here is your host, Frank Quinn. Today on the podcast, we continue our series on ransomware. In our series, we're covering what ransomware is, how it gets into a computer system, who the cyber criminals launching these cyber extortion attacks are, and how cyber criminals use the victim's own computers to encrypt their data and hold it for ransom. As the series progresses, members of Beasley's Breach Response Services team will walk through the progress of a ransomware incident with interviews of the experts we work with at every step along the way. Our first episode covered the initial infection with ransomware, how these attacks happen, who the threat actors launching these attacks are, how ransomware operates, Today, we're moving on to the next phase in a ransomware incident, containment. When you discover you have a ransomware infection, what should you do? And maybe more important, what shouldn't you do? Here to lead things off is Luke Green from our Breach Response Services team. When a policyholder reports a suspected ransomware incident to us at Beasley, they'll quickly be on the phone with one of our Breach Response Managers like Luke. A ransomware incident is often a crisis for the organization experiencing it. In fact, if not handled correctly, it could mean the end of a smaller business. And you want to make sure you're bringing in the right experts to help see you through it. Your help desk gets a phone call that a user's laptop's encrypted. What do they do now? What might they be tempted to do that they shouldn't? I'm Luke Green. I'm a breach response services manager with Beasley. I'm here with Josh Sudbury, a principal security expert with Lowstone Security. Josh, what are the first steps you should take when you think you've been hit by ransomware? That's a really good question. Uh, The first thing that you should probably do when you get hit with ransomware is disconnect systems from the network and remove internet access from any system that you suspect to have been compromised by ransomware or any system that you think um, might potentially be compromised by ransomware. Great. And how how do you make sure that that it actually is a ransomware attack? So generally with ransomware, you'll notice that there's been some strings of random letters or characters or additional things added to the end of your file extension. Um, Your icon file, your file icons will obviously not look the same anymore. They won't be able to open in the applications you normally open them in. One of the questions that were commonly asked is, how do you stop ransomware from spreading across your network? So... Ransomware itself doesn't normally spread across the network. Um, What normally does do the spreading is other malware that the threat actors may use in order to deploy that ransomware. Um, But ransomware can sometimes encrypt things across network shares. So again, the the easiest and best thing that you can do to prevent the spread of of ransomware or other malware in your network is to remove that network connectivity. The easiest thing to do is to disconnect the network cable from the system or to remove internet access from the organization as a whole. So when you say that ransomware can encrypt things across network shares, can you explain for listeners who might not recognize that term what a network share is? A network share is generally something that you see mapped as a drive in your computer. Um, It may be shared off of a file server. It may be a place that's not local to your computer but is accessible by your computer for storing files or accessing things in a shared manner. When one of our insureds calls us about a ransomware incident, we often recommend that they change their passwords. Can you help explain why this is a good idea? So one of the things that threat actors tend to do when they get into an environment is they use additional pieces of malware to compromise user credentials. They use those user credentials in order to move through the environment from system to system and ultimately onto servers that control all of the credentials for your organization. 
changing passwords prevents bad guys from being able to move laterally throughout the network. So in, in ransomware incidents, we'll often see third-party services like online banking or cloud-based backups also being impacted. Why does that happen? And, and what kind of passwords should users be resetting? So a lot of times malware that bad guys deploy in order to compromise credentials also compromises not just the local system username and password that you log into your computer with, but it can also scrape usernames and passwords out of browsers and email clients. So the idea would be to change any and every use, every password that you have for, for any sort of system or service that you may have, including external services, things like your personal accounts, uh, Gmail accounts, or Amazon, or anything else that you may log into through a browser on that computer. What, what kind of devices can be impacted by a ransomware? Most ransomware variants target Windows-based operating system computers. So that would be servers, desktops, laptops, things like that. There are some variants of ransomware, though, that impact all sorts of operating systems, including Linux and Mac. So anything running an operating system uh, is generally a target for ransomware. So most listeners will be familiar with workstations, you know, laptops and desktops. But can you help explain what a server is? So a workstation or a laptop would be the system that a user logs into uh, on every on every um, day-to-day. A server is generally a system that no individual user accesses, but it provides services or um, access for groups of people. Uh, it's designed to operate uh, and not serve the entire organization as opposed to an individual user. It's very helpful. So when there's something wrong with the computer, the natural reaction of people is to restart it. Is that a good idea when you have a ransomware? There's a lot of forensic artifacts that exist on a computer when it's running, uh, including active network connections and running processes that get lost uh, as those things are stored in active memory when a computer's running. So if you shut that computer down, that memory goes away. We lose those forensic artifacts. Most of the time, we recommend disconnecting the network cable as opposed to shutting the system down. That allows us to preserve those forensic artifacts so that way we can collect that stuff later. Hmm. So we often find that when a policyholder experiences ransomware, their first concern is just getting back up and running again. But why is it important to also be thinking about the forensic investigation? So forensic investigation is very similar to an active crime scene. The evidence that we preserve from computer systems uh, degrades over time the same way that forensic evidence in a crime scene would. Uh, We want to preserve as much of that as possible to be able to answer the questions about the crime. Uh, We want to know how the threat actors got into the environment, where they went when they got in the environment, what they did on those systems that they accessed, and whether or not any data that existed on those systems may or may not have been taken. Those sort of questions can have ramifications for the organization or company. Everything from fees to lawsuits can come out of uh, the answers to those questions. So we want to make sure that we preserve as much of that evidence as possible so that we can do a full and in-depth analysis. How should organizations train users to think of preserving evidence instead of immediately trying to restart? So I think the best thing to do is to educate users uh, with open, uh, straightforward communication, making sure that those users understand the systems that they're working with and kind of what's out there and what we might be interested in preserving. Um, We try to boil that down as much as we can to simple, straightforward things like If your computer is infected with ransomware, you think it might be, don't power the system off and just disconnect it from the network. That's very interesting. So are organizations able to handle ransomware incidents on their own? 
some organizations might be equipped to handle that, but they tend to be larger corporations, uh, generally companies that have security and uh, incident response teams kind of in-house. Um, for the companies that don't, um, that's where companies like, you know, mine come in or, you know, companies that you might be able to get through your insurance policy with your insurance carrier. So a lot of the times when I speak to organizations that have experienced ransomware, they know that they have backups and they want to restore right away. Uh, if you have a ransomware incident, but you have backups, why shouldn't you just restore from backups immediately? Companies can restore from backups. Uh, what we want to be able to do before you restore is uh, twofold. The first is you want to make sure that the threat actors are not current, still in the environment by making sure that you have an understanding of how they got in and that you've contained the issue properly. So that way, when you restore, it doesn't lead to reinfection. And secondly, we want to understand the timeline of how long the threat actors were in the environment so we can tell you how far back you need to restore from. If you restore from a backup that was compromised by the threat actors, it may still contain pieces of malware, which could lead to reinfection. How can you be sure that a situation is contained and that there's not still an underlying threat on your system? The only way to know that your environment's actually contained is to reinstall any of the systems that may have potentially been impacted. And that can be hard to do unless you have the right pieces of software in your environment that help you gain the visibility and insight into the activity on those systems. And what kind of software tools can be used to give the organizations that level of visibility so that they, they know the situation's contained and it's safe to restore? There's a lot of tools out there. Things like EDR tools, endpoint detection and response software, can allow you to gain a live visibility into the endpoints and systems running on your network, which will give you the ability to kind of see what activity is occurring and, and monitor them to make sure that things are really contained. And at what stage do you recommend bringing in outside experts to assist? Oh, as soon as possible. A lot of corporations have never been through something like a ransomware attack, and it can be very difficult to, to handle that sort of a situation. That's where bringing in the experts really helps. We've been through this a lot, and we know how to help you out. That's great. And, and here on the breach response team, we like, we like to encourage our insurers to notify us early and often. So we've been focusing on what an organization does once they've been infected by ransomware. But what steps could have been taken to prevent the ransomware in the first place? Well, the two most common initial entry vectors for threat actors that deploy ransomware would be things like Microsoft's remote desktop protocol, which is a remote access uh, software, and email. So training your users to detect uh, phishing emails and malicious attachments is probably one of the best things you can do. And then for remote access services, you should always secure those behind a, a multi-factor authenticated VPN. And multi-factor authentication is the token that you get uh, on your phone whenever you type in your username and password and it asks you for that token. And VPNs are virtual private networks. And what they do is they allow you to create a secure tunnel from your local laptop at home back into your corporate network. You mentioned that emails with malicious files are an important infection vector for ransomware. How can you protect against emails containing malicious files? Training your users to spot those um, is probably the first step that you can take. Uh, alternatively, you can also disable macros and um, other sort of automated uh, scripting functionality within Word documents that should prevent the execution of any payloads contained within those documents. That's great. And, and is it just Word documents or, or are any uh, Office documents susceptible? 
Any Office document which might contain the ability to execute a macro or some sort of a scripted code should be considered vulnerable. We've also seen things with PDFs, uh, which can be used to launch attacks. Is it always just attachments that, that have to be worried about with email, or are there other things? Well, attachments tend to be the thing that delivers a malicious payload most often. However, emails can contain malicious links that can lead users to compromising their credentials or to downloading and executing a payload through instructions on a malicious website. We often see that employee behavior is the thing that opens the door for ransomware. What kind of training do you recommend for employees to help avoid this kind of attack? You can train employees with all sorts of things. Uh, we try to focus on employees being trained on how to spot malicious attachments, uh, emails, phishing links, um, and how to determine if they're being prompted for protected information or if they're being asked to change something like you know, direct deposit information uh, to confirm with the person who or the organization who they're being asked to change the information for um, out of band. So that would be like giving someone a phone call um, as opposed to responding to them over the given medium of like email where it could be something malicious. So things like social engineering training are really key here? Yeah, social engineering happens a lot, um, especially when it comes to changing people's payroll information or a company's deposit information for whenever they're making payments for things. Uh, we see that a lot, and most of that comes through email. Josh, this has been really informative. Uh, what do you think the three most important things listeners should remember to do if they have a ransomware incident? The three most important things you should probably do is don't turn off the computer, but instead disconnect the network cable. Number two, you should contact your administrator. And number three, your administrator should contact their local security services company. Thanks, Josh. I really appreciate you uh, coming out and talking to us. Back to you, Frank. Thanks, Luke. And thanks to our guest today, Josh Sudbury of Lodestone Security. On our next episode in the Ransomware series, Backups, how an effective backup strategy can help you recover, and how to determine if your backup strategy has been as effective as you intended. To learn more about Ransomware, download our 2020 Breach Briefing. In our report, Beasley Breach Response Services analyzes the trends we've seen in helping our policyholders through almost 4,000 incidents in 2019. Among the highlights, the number of ransomware incidents notified to Beasley increased 131% compared to 2018, and the ransoms demanded by cybercriminals have also increased exponentially. To download the 2020 Breach Briefing, visit the News section on www.beasley.com. For Control-Alt-Breach, I'm Frank Quinn. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about this topic and others, please visit BeasleyAcademy.com for an extensive library of videos, podcasts, and blog posts. I'm Alexis Granger at the Beasley Academy, and I'll see you next time. This podcast is for preliminary informational purposes only. Coverage is subject to each policy's terms and conditions. For additional information about Beasley, please visit Beasley.com.